This is Inner Healing Paths podcast. Here we discuss the healing of the mind, body, soul, and spirit through a variety of different paths. We have emotional and spiritually minded conversations centering on ancestral healing, psychology, astrology, yoga, meditation, magic, and indigenous spiritual practices of the world. I am your host, Rosa Shetty, and I am so happy you are here. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Rosa, and I'm so grateful that you are here, that you're back for another episode. This particular episode is with Dr. Kate Truitt. Dr. Truitt is a neuroscientist. She is a clinical psychologist, and she specializes in treating traumatic stress and PTSD, which stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. And in our conversation, she is she's an expert in a technique known as heavening. So heavening is a very simple yet powerful healing technique tool to help your brain recover from a traumatic event or a series of traumatic events. Uh, Dr. Truitt shares her personal journey of healing from trauma. She lost her fiance in a very sudden traumatic way and she tried all the techniques out there. She was a, a researcher in the field of trauma. She was an expert in the field of trauma, yet she was struggling with PTSD and just wasn't able to heal and she shares how Havening helped her and how it was that missing piece for her in her healing and recovery. So I am so excited to share this conversation. I think you're going to learn a lot. I know I did. A few months ago, I took her Havening training and just to, you know, to add to my toolkit as a therapist. And let me tell you guys, I've been implementing that not just with my clients, but also in my personal life. Uh, every time I feel overwhelmed, every time I feel triggered, I apply the heavening technique, regardless of what I'm doing, whether it's that I'm just um, in sometimes in session with a client, um, we do it together. And as I'm coaching a client on doing heavening, I'm regulating my nervous system. Uh, you know, whether I'm at home or wherever I'm at, it's such a powerful tool to have accessible. And in this episode, uh, you're going to learn how to do it, um, at least to to help yourself, you know, throughout your day, especially because these days are, you know, they're, they're challenging. There's so much going on in the world. And, and sometimes we, we see things that are very triggering on TV or we hear stories that are just full of sadness and 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 trauma and, and you know it triggers our own issues our own difficulties with our past so I I, I hope that you, you find our conversation inspiring and healing and that you learn something that you can apply you know on your own journey I also want to let you guys know that I'm going to be offering a healing circle once a month and I'm going to call it Inner Healing Collective. It's going to be once a month and it's going to be for you, the listeners, and it's going to be an opportunity to just join me in in a conversation, in healing conversations, to join a, a, a another 
a group of other women and femmes that are committed to their healing, committed to their process, that want to learn more, that want to connect. I do believe that there is such a huge power in numbers. So when people get together with the intention to heal, there is a power, there is a magic that that happens in those circles. And I want to offer that to to the collective, to the audience, you know, that those of you that listen to this podcast, and I want to make it accessible. I know there's people that have messaged me from all over the world, which is, it just blows my mind, you know, to, to realize that my podcast is reaching so many folks um, from Switzerland, Mexico, Chile, I've had people message me from Spain, um, and all over the US. So it's just amazing to know that we are all connected in this way through through this through these conversations through this medium and I want to offer an opportunity to get to know you even more to help and and provide a healing space for you all so if this sounds interesting to you if you're curious about how this might look feel free to send me uh, send me any questions or any anything that comes up for you again this is going to be once a month I'm going to start it in the month of May but you can can sign up now for the month of May I'm looking at the third week and in the space that I'm creating I also want to in between our, our meetups our virtual meetups sorry if I I don't know if I mentioned that these are going to be virtual meetups um, you know during that I, I want to be just connecting checking in um, sending meditations and some journaling prompts and so just to stay connected and to to have that sense of of community that I know so many of us are, are missing these days so I hope you join if you want more information on this it's going to be on the show notes and there's going to be a, a link that you can click on also if you go to my Instagram account which is Rosa Shetty LCSW uh, there's going to be a link in my bio, which you can click and you'll be able to sign up. And I hope that, I hope that this, again, I hope that this episode is, is helpful to you. And as usual, please share any feedback or comments that you have on these uh, podcast episodes. Please share it on social media. Uh, subscribe if you haven't done so already, so you can be notified every time I drop a new episode. And yeah, and if you can, if you feel called to, um, I would really, really appreciate if you leave me a review and, you know, a review of how this is helping you on, on your journey, on your path. And, you know, just want to add a brief disclaimer, you know, that although Dr. Truett and I were both licensed mental health professionals, this podcast episode does not treat or diagnose any physical or mental health condition. This episode does not substitute for healthcare or mental health services of any kind. The guests have a right to share their opinion and perspective, and this does not constitute an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. So here's the episode. Take a listen. Hi, Dr. Truett. Thank you so much for being here. It's, oh, Rosa, it's lovely to be here with you. I know we've been talking about having this conversation for a long time, so yes. thank you yeah. so much. This is September when we we first talked, <laughs> so yes. so here we are finally 
made it happen. So uh, to get started, uh, can you share a little bit with our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, where you're from, and just the healing work that you do? Uh, So I am a cross between a clinical psychologist and a neuroscientist, which means that I really invite the neurobiology into all of the healing work that we do. And partly how I came to that is in my own healing journey, I kept doing a lot of talk therapy and kept still doing the same wackadoodle things and realized there's got to be a missing piece here. And so many, many moons ago, gosh, almost two decades ago, I studied EMDR and got trained in EMDR and it just really opened up a new window of opportunity for me in the healing space. And I'd already been working in rat labs, studying brains and fear. And then with this new EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing treatment, um, I really realized that there's an opportunity and therapy to bring the talking and the system into relationship. And so since then I've dedicated my career, as you know, to the integration of neurobiology and psychotherapy. And now we have this new modality that came out of EMDR called Havening that I'm just a huge proponent of because it's self-healing in your own hands. We, we are the tool for healing and I think it's just really amazing. So, so that's kind of professionally where I'm from and then where I'm actually from, I'm from the Midwest. I'm a, good old-fashioned Midwestern girl transplant to Los Angeles and still here. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that. And and can you tell us, since you mentioned Havening, can, can you tell us a little bit more about Havening and just, and just a little bit more about those for those that are trying to get a sense as to how to start healing, how, how can Havening or this technique be helpful? Yeah, you know, one of the things Rosa, that I love so much about Havening is it's a wonderful way to begin a healing journey. And then if it's a good fit, you can go deeper with a Havening certified practitioner, which I, I know you're on that journey. Um, havening allows for self-healing. The, the mechanism of action of Havening is actually our, our own hands. And what we've found through research and neuroscience that we, is that we have little fibers, they're tiny, tiny, tiny little mechanoreceptors in our skin that love touch. Go figure, right? I mean, we all enjoy a nice warm hug or there's a reason why we reach out to our partner and say hey or hold hands or why it's so critical for children to have loving touch early on. And it's these little fibers and what these wonderful doctors discovered who are twins back in New York City, that is that these little receptors interact with our stress brain, our fear brain, in a really specific way that actually down-regulates our system. And so havening is known as the opportunity to put the brain and the body into a safe place. That's why it's called a haven. So what is a haven, right? That's where we go, it's a safe space. So havening is creating a safe space in the mind and body. And it uses four touches. So one's just like you're washing your hands under warm water. Another, what I like to call a moving hug, with a havening hug, and then moving your fingers across your brow. If you've ever had a tension headache and done this, you're engaging those little receptors. Or wiping, so you're wiping away tears. And those four touches actually downregulate our brain and help it feel calm and more collected. And then we can use different protocols from havening and the self-healing mechanisms 
to begin our healing journey and help our system start to regulate itself. And then there's a whole other array of really exciting tools in the clinical space that practitioners get trained in to really deepen the work and actually go back and heal the traumatic wounds of our past so that our brain has the opportunity to recover from and even give itself what should have been in our childhood, but so frequently isn't for so many, so for so many of us. So you mean, um, so you said you give ourselves what we didn't have. So connecting with that inner child through havening, that is so fascinating. I don't think I've, I've seen that protocol or if, if there is a protocol, but that is so There is the, the reparenting protocols. We have a workshop coming up. Yeah. Amazing. And, you know, for, um, I just want to back up a little bit. You mentioned the down regulation and, and a lot of folks may not uh, know what that means. And um, in simple terms, how would you describe that? You know, how, how does that, um, what does that look like? So when we're in a state of stress, we have a lot of cortisol, a lot of excitatory stuff going on in our brain. And that's kind of what it feels like when we're stressed out. And so that's a specific part of our nervous system that's called the sympathetic nervous system. I like to think of it as though our body is sympathetic to stress. And so it's like, I feel stressed. I'm going to create more stress, which is a little counterintuitive. And our goal when we're in a state like that, obviously, is to create some sense of safety or calmer relaxation. And so we actually have an opposite part of our nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system. And it creates opposite action to that stressed out response. And once our brain gets hiked up, and maybe you've experienced this yourself, it kind of feels like we stay that way for a really long time. And even sometimes our brain starts to tell stories. That's ruminating. We're just kind of chewing on, oh my gosh, the worries and the anticipatory anxiety. And we get stuck in these loops that just make it feel bigger and worse and scarier. And so havening is a really powerful tool for bringing the system down. And I like to think about it as we're wrapping a warm, fuzzy blanket around our brain and our body and going, it's okay. It's okay. We got this. And you can notice I'm even doing one of the havening touches as I do that. It's okay. And then we use really specific brain games or breath work to further enhance that calming space. And what's really cool about havening is when we're activated, little receptors in our brain come online and havening actually has a specific electrochemical cascade that helps calm those receptors, but also heal them. So we're less likely to get triggered in the same way again in the future. So it's a proactive self-healing. And, and that's that's when um, you're healing your trauma, right? You heal your that's the direct. So basically, it's a, in, in simpler terms, it's like a direct way to start to heal a terrible experience that you went through. I mean, I know it sounds um, a lot easier said than done. It is very much a process, but you know, I know that for because I've seen out there on the internet, YouTube, and other places that a lot of people are doing self healing. Yes. Yeah. Kind of worry a little bit about that because I feel that it's okay maybe for something, you know, like just some mild stress, anxiety. Maybe you have a presentation, but I feel that because of media and just everything, all the information, Instagram, everything that is out there, it's being shown as something that is simple enough that you can use. And that you know, as a trauma therapist, I worry that patients may or clients may try to do this for more of that deeper work. I don't know if you've come across that. Yeah, you know, it's I have a, a book coming out in a couple months. It's called Healing in Your Hands that 
is a, a guide for going on this journey in a really safe and empowered way. And one of the fundamental messages is always knowing where our system can safely go and also recognizing that there will be times when additional support is needed. And, and I know you're familiar with our YouTube channel. We have you know, hundreds of videos that are self-healing in your hands videos. And there is always that space that our brain and our body will alert us and will literally send up a red flag and say, now I need additional support. And there is very specific type of work that can be only really be successfully done in a therapeutic office because if we go too deep, if we bring up too much, our little friend Amy the amygdala, who is you know kind of our fiercest maternal protector, she's a primal, primal brain part, will dissociate or throw us into a panic attack or into rage. And that's her way of keeping us safe. And she has the ability to override everything else that's happening in the present moment if she feels like there's a threat. And that's where the really, really important work with a healing practitioner, a trauma-informed psychotherapist, is so, so, so powerful. And so it's finding that balance. And I think one of the biggest barriers, and tell me if you see this yourself, is that mental health forgets to be prioritized. People will spend so much money on a gym membership, and if the brain isn't strong and balanced, well, we really need our brain. It's important. Definitely, I think, I, I hope that it changes over time, but definitely at, at this point, it's, like you said, uh, other programs, other things for the, for the fitness and, that is definitely um, at the forefront because it's what you can see, right? We want to look a particular way, lose, you know, weight, this amount of weight. So that's yeah. your, our mental health. You can't see it. It's an invisible, you know, um, wound. Really, trauma is invisible wounds. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what's so interesting is they're actually not invisible because they show up in our relationships, they show up in our careers, they show up in our partnerships, they show up when we're lying in bed late at night alone, feeling unlovable or unworthy or ruminating and beating ourselves up. They're just not given the same level of value. And that's one of the things that just really breaks my heart and that's one of my missions and visions of you know, my purpose. How do we change the relationship of the global community, no small feat, with mental health and, and wellness and overarching well-being. It's possible. And, you know, going back to one thing that you said that I thought was so interesting, you, you called the amygdala our maternal protector. And I, it is one of the things that came to mind when you said that is that so much of the, you know, when we talk about inner child work and reparenting, you know, we see it almost um in this in, in these are very tangible terms i think these are terms that people can get a visual but one of when you mentioned that one of the things that i realized is that we're literally you know the, if the amygdala is like our maternal protector by healing that part that is the reparenting right and, and that's the science behind it and i just thought when you said that i just thought it was so fascinating you know to to see the amygdala as maternal our fierce maternal protector that often needs healing mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, our, our amygdala gets a bad rep in the media about being all about fear. You know, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And the truth is our amygdala is involved in all of our emotional states and all of our relationships. And, and just a little background for the audience. Um, I, the amygdala is my area of specialization as a neuroscientist. I'm totally in love with the amygdala. I think it's amazing because it, it informs all of our communications, our relationships, our behaviors, how we show up in our day-to-day -day life. And I like to think about it as having three core values. Am I lovable? Can I be successful? And am I safe? And those values can work in that fight, 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 <laughs> fight, flight, freeze, fawn space if they're not being met in a loving, balanced, supportive way or those values can really help us thrive and build really strong connections and relationships with the rest of our brain with them, which then extends to the rest of our community. And so the Havening is really unique to take this back to Havening and the fact that it, it's working directly with what's known as neuroplasticity, our brain's ability to change and grow and expand across the course of our lifetime and that really specific beautiful part of our brain that really is our fiercest maternal protector. I mean, if we think about the good enough mom, not the perfect mom, because that's way too much pressure, but just the good enough mom. What is the good enough mom's goal for the child? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, grow up, be healthy, happy, successful, live your dreams, follow your possibilities. And so when we're working with the amygdala, that is that reparenting piece. If our childhood did not sponsor us to have a sense of safety or lovability, a sense of I can be successful in my life, agency and confidence, we have the opportunity in our hands to create that now. Beautiful. And with inner child work, um, you know, it's also, very much connected you know you mentioned this am i safe am i successful am i lovable and when it comes to that that inner child work that is for a lot of folks um that is at the core right yeah. especially the sense of not being lovable or not being enough yeah. or you know the, the feeling so unsafe in their environments that you know this that becomes this core belief yeah or internalizes into i'm not safe in my mind and my body or back to the conversation on physical presence. I'm only safe, lovable, and successful if I look a certain way. And if I don't look that way, I'm not safe. I'm not lovable. And the internal dialogue and trauma that happens living within that narrative. It's insidious. You know, when, when it comes to trauma versus wounding, uh, and I know havening is very as a trauma tool, but how would you define the difference between just something that was very traumatic um, and there's that, that nervous system that activates and then something that it creates more of these lifelong wounds? Because um, you mentioned the amygdala sees these three yeah. and takes them on as trauma. Uh, but some, you know, sometimes we think of trauma as this, this terrible at one single event or a combination of many different terrible things that happen. But wounding can, the way I see wounding is, you know, being forgotten at school by your parents, right? Um, several times. Over and over and over again. Yeah. 
very wounding. It doesn't necessarily mean that in that moment the child has an activation, but it could be, right? You're, it's a traumatizing event. But, or, you know, just having a mean sibling, you know, that that's always putting you down and over time, that's very wounding, right? So for the folks listening, there's a difference in the brain response to each of these events. And can you speak a little bit more on that? Yeah, I like to think of it as additive. So, and one way to think about trauma is that this four, there's four components to when the brain gets to a point where it's big enough for the brain to go, okay, I'm remembering this forever. And so something has to happen. That something has to have meaning. There, there has to be some sort of attachment to something that's happening. And that could be a threat to life or it could be a, a threat to lovability. My, my parents forgotten me at school again and I know they're at the bar with their buddies. And how does my brain make sense of that? Then the brain body experience has to be vulnerable enough for the brain to be permissive for there to be an encoding. And then finally that experience has to be or feel as though it's inescapable. And those four components can all happen in a flashbang at once. A really terrible car accident. Um, you know, those big T traumas is what we call them in the trauma community. Or they can build upon each other over the slowly across the course of the time. And these are these wounds that continue to deepen and deepen and deepen until the amygdala goes, oh, this is threatening one of those core values. And I'm going to now create a new survival pattern to meet my core value. So I'm going to fawn. I'm going to let this person know that they are the number one priority in my life and I'm going to meet all their needs before they even know they have needs. Because then I will matter and maybe they'll pick me up from school. Or I'm going to freeze and disconnect because if I'm just quiet and show no emotion, they won't yell at me because I'll just fade into the background. But it's, it's the additive process that I think gets left out of so many of our really important conversations around trauma. And we get used to these flashbang experiences. And the truth is it can grow and expand. And because our brain is neuroplastic, all of those micro moments are sculpting and shifting and changing how we show up in the world and creating a survival strategy. And the problem is, as we grow up, maybe we leave the household and our brain doesn't know we're safe now. And so it keeps doing the same thing because it's worked in the past, but it's not working now in 2022. And that's where, to your point about working with a really highly trained trauma therapist, we do that deeper work to unwind those patterns and to teach and model self-compassion and loving kindness. As so many of us were not taught that loving kindness was a thing that we were even possibly maybe deserving of. That is taught through relationship because we're relationship-based creatures. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that came to mind right now as you were sharing this is that so many folks uh, aren't even aware of this programming, right? This the the connection. Of wounding and trauma and so they, they a lot of folks start therapy because there's a specific issue right um, and then it's through that process that awareness 
of the, or the connection of the past, the wounding with the present. And I feel like the awareness is just key, right? For, for healing. If we can't make that link, that connection to yeah. current, you know, our current problem or difficulty to our past, yeah. I, I see, I see that it's it's hard, you know, to start that process. We must make that awareness, that connection. It doesn't mean we're healing, but at least we have a connection. Like this is, you know, how does that look in terms of um, therapy? I don't know with the folks that you work with. In terms, you know, they come in for a specific difficulty, and then they're you know, making that connection to. Not, it's just it's, this is just what's happening now. It's just the tip of the iceberg, you know. How does that happen for, for the, the folks that you work with? Yeah, a lot of it's having the exact type of conversation we're having right now. Of we, we bring in a lot of neurobiology. This is how the brain develops across the lifespan, and if these core needs or values are not being met, how has your brain successfully kept you alive? And we talk a lot about high-fiving Amy the amygdala, like, hey, man, she's had your back. Like, let's not beat ourselves up or carry shame or guilt or embarrassment about the ways that she's learned to help you stay alive. What if we actually look upon those things as micro gifts that helped you get to this moment? And how do we give those experiences new jobs? How do we give those behaviors new opportunities? How do we turn the challenge into a success? What does that look like? And what I love so much about the neuroscience, and I, I've witnessed this in my own healing journey, is it creates the space between self and, oh, my brain is just doing what it's doing to get through the moment right now. And so it was doing whatever it was doing to get through the moment back then. And it learned things because brains learn. And so let's look at that learning. And it, that just takes so much shame out. That's what we call Amy the amygdala. We, 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 we talk about Amy all the time with our patients. What's Amy up to today? How is Amy this week? Amy was great. She really wanted to make that new friendship work. I've worked in relationship with her. She was a little worried and nervous, but we used our tools. Or yeah, Amy punched a wall today. Okay, what did, let's talk about that. So, so Amy got really upset about something. Let's dig in. And you can hear how it's not self now. It's not I did something wrong or I got scared. It's, oh, my brain. So what you're saying is there's a lot of education that goes into this making these connections and then the external like externalizing this part within us our amygdala our amy and seeing it as it's so many of me you know so many folks are healing from trauma so many so many internalize everything that they do and it becomes their identity <clears throat> i am x y and z because of x y and z you know it becomes this this they're so enmeshed with this identity uh, so what you're saying is that to be able to externalize these behaviors and to see them as this is why this happens it's not you this is not you know, it's not part of you this is a behavior triggered by you know and that in and of itself can be so powerful right yeah yeah well and if we think about 90 percent of our present moment is being defined by the experiences of our past like that's a lot 
that's a lot. Yeah, it's so so much of what we of how we function, all of us, you know, whether we've been through trauma or not, is unconscious, subconscious, you know, so automatic and you know, it's just, I mean, I mean it, it, there's a function for that. And, you know, as, as a scientist, I'm sure you can explain it way better than me, but, you know, the way I see it is that it will be exhausting to always have to be on, right? To always have to remember how to- Our brains can do it. Work a computer, you know, like we eventually, we master things and they become out of autopilot. But unfortunately the same thing happens with, you know, difficulties in their lives, toxic patterns, trauma, you know, they become our subconscious automatic pilot or, you know, or the way we operate. Yeah, exactly. And especially in relationships, because we need relationships to survive. Everything about a vulnerable infant, one of the very first things that's being developed and learned is how to into intuitively read the facial expressions and the nervous system of their caregivers because their survival is literally based on that. Like that that's so powerful to think about. And if we don't have good enough parents and and I just want to like throw just kind of a statement out there, it's not their fault. This is where that intergenerational experience comes down. This is where it, it's hard to be human and the idea of mental health and mental wellness didn't even enter into the conversation until the past several decades. So there's a lot of people who have been raised in a lot of spaces without tools, techniques, and skills, and it gets passed down. So I'm not blaming parents here. I mean, it's just everybody. I, like, I do believe that, as we're talking about, Amy's trying to do her best for every single one of us, no matter if we're, you know, might 41 or 92. And that's true across the course of our lifespans. And those patterns are so deeply ingrained. And the opportunity for those of us who've grown up in difficult spaces is to go, okay, I'm changing this now. I'm creating a new way forward. And we have the opportunity to do that. You know, part of the reason why I even have this podcast and I do what I do is because, you know, I, I am passionate about sharing that message, you know, that regardless of what has happened to you, regardless of what you went through, your parents or the previous generations, that healing is possible, you know, healing is, is available. Um, and it, there's different ways and, you know, of healing or, or at least windows to healing. I like to, you know, I call this my, my pot, you know, path, my podcast is inner healing paths, but it's really more like, you know, there's different paths that can lead you to that healing or to start your healing journey. For so many people, they don't even know where to start. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's one of the, my, you know, fundamental beliefs is that, you know, it's possible regardless of what you've been through. And, and thank you for, for sharing that message here. You know, you're, in, you're talking about havening and, um, but there is, uh, there's a lot of other modalities also. There's a lot of, uh, I think the key is to have the intention to want to heal, right? I think that's, that's key. Yeah. To, to yeah. Want, even if you don't, you haven't made the connection, the awareness, but if there is that the intention you know what i i know stuff has happened to me i know i have difficulties now i want to heal i think that intention is so powerful emotion yeah well i think such an, a critical piece and as you know i resonate very deeply with your message we've got the youtube channel we have the TikTok, which is basically just for people post questions and we answer their questions 
Yeah, it's a video a day of here's sound bites into the information that is supportive and helping people build awareness. And I think even those little sound bites are so important because they provide a glimpse into, oh, I didn't even know that this thing actually may not be working for me in my life. And that there's a different opportunity forward because of the automaticity of some of these patterns that we get into. And so the more we can provide psychoeducation, that enhances the opportunity for awareness, which then creates the motivation and the space to look at what's going on in our lives and say, is this what I want? And even give ourselves permission to ask that question. Because so often we're not even taught that, hey, wait, what our wants needs matter to. That is very, I mean, I, I, so many people that I work with, that's uh, and the top, you know, difficulty is that they are, they feel like they need permission or they're not, they feel like their needs or wants are not a priority for definitely for themselves, but for everyone else. And so therefore they, they operate in that way of, uh, I don't matter. You know, my needs are not important. Yeah. Uh, Kate, you mentioned a little bit uh, a little bit ago your healing journey, and I know you shared. Uh, I've heard your story, and I've read your story in a, in a book. Uh, it's called "15 Minutes to Freedom," and your story was just um, so powerful. And, and I don't know if you if you want to share a little bit about about that, um, but would you do you want to share a little bit in terms of how you how you experienced this healing in your own life? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, actually, I have a, another book coming out later this year that's basically the, the new body keeps the score, um, but through the lens of this of this case study experience. And so, so um, feeling in your hands. Um, that's a, a different book. That's all about you guys. That that's all about the healing journey for our clients and our patients and for the community and the world. Um, it's a yeah. different, different book, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but so, so my story, um, you know, childhood stuff happened, you know. Um, and when I was 19, I met a, a delightful human um, who really became a critical part of my healing journey. And we were together for 10 years and then I, a week before our wedding, I came home and found him, and he had unexpectedly passed away. And that, uh, you know, speaking of the additive nature of trauma, I'd had a lot of complex trauma. I've always been chronically ill. There was a lot of stuff growing up in the 80s. Um, you know, having therapy wasn't a part of the conversation. And so, you know, my parents did absolutely their best, and it was complex and difficult. And when he passed away, it's as though my brain kind of exploded with trauma and so I had really bad PTSD from that experience and um, not being able to save his life and what we call complex content all of the variables that were wrapped around that loss and from there I had so just multiple additional losses within a one-year period um, my, my Nana died as a result of her trying to come see me the night after he died she fell and ended up in the hospital and passed away a couple months later. And she and I were, I'm named after her, like very, very close. Um, and then I was in a really horrifying car accident. So I was texting and driving, ran a red light going 60 miles per hour and 
head on. And from there I had brain damage and contracted encephalitis, which is a brain virus. And so I was battling for my life. I didn't know if I would survive. And so it's just kind of this additive experience that really just took my world over. And all of this childhood stuff just kind of kept bumping up against the surface. And it's the, I felt like my, my amygdala just checked out, my brain checked out. Just like, this is enough now, we're done. We don't know how to get through this. And the one person who always helped you get through these difficult moments, you couldn't save his life. You were too late. And, and that was a big part of my encoding was I was, I was too late. And the, the journey took five years and healing through the physical and the mental trauma, um, the virus, um, all, all of those different pieces. And it was really, really an interesting experience because I'd been studying neuroscience and trauma for a decade at that point. And I, I thought I knew so much. You know, I was already, I had, you know, I was just finishing up my doctorate in clinical psychology. I had two master's degrees already under my belt, um, three bachelors. <laughs> and, and I realized I knew nothing. Because when we're swimming in it, in those dark depths of despair, everything we know is gone. And, and it's just breath by breath survival and all the trauma symptoms, panic attacks, nightmares, um, what called repetition compulsion disorder, um, all of that just ran the, ran the day for me. And, and I, I had been blessed to train with really amazing, amazing therapists prior to this happening. And so I was knocking on all their doors, you know, doing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of therapy. And finally got to a point where I said, okay, this is, this is my new good enough. And I resigned myself to the fact that I would live with trauma for the rest of my life. And I stopped trying to date. I stopped trying to build any relationships outside of my really core friends. His new relationships were really hard. He had a lot of attachment trauma and loss. And, and that's when on a t total random experience, I heard about Havening. And on a wing and a prayer, I ended up going to a havening training back in October 2014. And within 15 minutes, and that's the name of the book, 15 Minutes to Freedom, my, my brain came back. Because one of the things that happens with a traumatically encoded experience is when the event is big enough, it's like super glue on our amygdala. And anything that reminds our amygdala of that moment will bring the amygdala on board and it will take over and take any new data in a panicky, scary, traumatizing moment, or even just a normal moment walking down the street, but you see somebody that looks like your person and they go, <gasps> and then the brain goes, I'm now in West Hollywood. I'm gonna remember this. This place is now terrible and scary. Because that's what it does, it casts a net of trauma. And that, once that little amper, it's a little receptor in our brain called an amper receptor. Once that little receptor was healed in those 15 minutes, I had my brain back. And it was amazing, and I did, all the other work softened my trauma, and it helped me with a lot of work from my past. And this was the thing where it's just like, oh, there, there I am. Uh, the only thing that was missing, right? That yeah, the super, the super glued trauma node. It was just like super glued on there, and that's where I 
just and, and I'm a hard scientist and I, I thought havening was so weird and then I was like oh <laughs> wow and and now I'm, I'm ha exceptionally happily married I have a wonderful partner uh, I you know I've got this incredible I'd stopped doing clinical care because I didn't know if I could be in a space with clients and I you know, two two months later, reopened up my clinical practice, and now I have you know, practices around LA. I mean, it's it's amazing. For those folks listening that are in this, in their therapists, you know, I feel like some sometimes we're so hard on ourselves because we feel that because we know all of this, yeah. that we should be in a different place in our life with our own trauma. Because you know, the reality is that a lot of us that go into this field of helping others we go in for a reason right there we usually is a way to navigate and to make sense of what has happened to us and through that process we're able to you know it, it, it helps it really does right but then um like you said a lot of times it's you know we, we other things happen and our, our trauma just or our traumas compound and we're here we are doing therapy in, in clinical you know helping others and we feel like I can't even help myself, you know, or we're, and then a lot of us end up feeling burned out and just quitting the field. I know, that, you know, I'm talking about my experience. I didn't quit the field, but about 10 years ago, I was so burned out. I was so, um, the compassion fatigue, right. That it just felt so heavy. And, and that, that it was an indication for me, at least, you know, at that point in my life, that, you know, this is why am I so burned out? Well, what, why is this, you know, triggering me so much. So it was, for me, it was, that was the window, my, my career, you know, what I was um, living was my window to, there's things in my life that, that I need to heal and it's okay. I can help others and be in the healing journey myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, what's that? You know, I said, it's a process, right? It, it's a it, it absolutely, well, everywhere we go, our brain goes. Yeah, and I, I think that, one of the things that's been, I mean, so I, I left, I, I had a, a session with a client who we, we did a wonderful repair and then I referred her out where um, I noticed that my trauma was too close to the surface, which is why I shut down my clinical practice. I, I quit practicing because I didn't feel like I could provide the psychological safety because my brain had very clear PTSD. And what I love that you're also bringing up, Rosa, is it's, it's this compassion fatigue, it's the burnout, where it's the slow grind that also takes its toll. And going through the pandemic, starting you know, March 2020 in this field, I think that's one of the things that's been so transformative for myself and for my teams, is having this tool that when we use it with our clients, we're doing really transformative healing work, whether it be through telehealth or in the office. And it's constantly regulating our own nervous systems. So our systems aren't getting vulnerable. We're not permissive for encoding whatever's walking into our offices. It makes us more psychologically safe to do the trauma work that we're doing because our system's being wrapped in bubble wrap. Every single time we're utilizing havening as a trauma reprocessing tool or engaging in the havening touch. And then we go home and do our own havening work. And to your earlier point, it's additive too. 
internal family systems. We bolted onto EMDR. We bolted onto DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy. We bolted onto cognitive behavioral therapy. We bolted onto cognitive processing therapy. We bolted onto prolonged exposure. It's a bolt-on. It's not a it's not a therapeutic di um, philosophy. It's a neurobiologically based tool that makes everything else work better and makes us feel better. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, uh, learning this technique and applying it into my practice, uh, I felt like it was a game changer just because in the process of me writing the indication on how to do it, showing them how to do it, I noticed in that moment, I also feel a sense of like relief and rest in that moment. It's almost like it creates this, uh, this opportunity to, like you said, to self-regulate myself as a therapist you know because we're talking about very heavy things right and and it's yeah and it, 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 it you know it, it, we're human right and it, it these stories are heavy to process our brain is processing this in that moment to have that as a tool for myself while I'm helping someone is for me was a game changer you know in terms of in my therapy session yeah well and we're also I mean I think the pandemic was never a, a better example of this we were all going through grief and loss and trauma and fear and anxiety and still are in different ways through this journey and the request that we also be the holding cell that we've a, a vow that we've all taken up and love to do for everybody else's grief, loss, panic, trauma and their journey. And, and that's where having these new tools be, that have come to be because of our understanding of brain science is a fundamental game changer because we can bring that into our practice and be empowered to be in that space and even and to safely be on our journey because life is going to keep happening yeah absolutely yeah, and you know, one thing uh, about the, being the pandemic and doing this, it, it actually works really well through, for video therapy. That's great. It's, it's, it's an amazing trauma tool that actually is ideal. You know, you know, a lot of a lot of us are just doing video sessions for now. It's it's just the best thing because <laughs> it's, well, it's same state learning. That's what I love about it. We, our patients are actually getting better outcomes in some cases because they're used to doing this in their home environment or just walking around and palm havening and regulating rather than being used to regulating in our offices and then going into their day to day life. Now they're actually regulating in their day-to-day -day life because the therapeutic process is unfolding actively in their day-to-day -day life. It's been really cool. Yeah, I mean, and that's one thing that you can't, it's so easy to put in, into practice. You know, I know for me, I have a baby. So uh, I, after learning, after learning this, going through the training, I, I started those first few days when I, everything was so fresh. I, I, I to put her to sleep, I did the, um, yeah over the eyebrow and on the cheek but you know one of the things that you mentioned in the training that I've been doing is that you said uh your your husband's uh, grandmother I think used to do yes. that circle uh -huh. around their their eyebrows and eyes and so I actually that seems a little bit easier when she's you know trying to put yeah. her so I started doing that and, and she asks for it now she oh. she kind of brings her 
you know, she's not talking yet completely, but she she brings my hand and she puts it on her eyebrow, so I know that's what she wants. <laughs> yeah. And then um, another one that, that we've been doing, or we've been doing since then, is the hands. You know, I just kind of caress her hands. And that has, it's actually so interesting because she made the connection that this movement, caressing your palms, is so for her, it's so powerful that she has, um, she says, manos, manos is hands in Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you know, just a quick, so she's, she doesn't like writing alone in the back. So, um, so she'll reach her hand and she says, manos, oh, manos. So she wants manos. me to caress her palm, you know, that's her, and I, and I can't sometimes when I'm driving, but she asks for it now, or if she doesn't want to go to sleep and she's upset, she at least, she tells me manos, like, you know, caress my palms. So then I caress her palms, that calms her down. So it's one of those things that it, it's so, it's just, you can use it in so many different ways, right? It's such a powerful tool. Yeah, well, it's hardwired. We are, we are built to ha have these receptors in our skin. And they go up to the same brain areas that are directly impacted by stress and trauma. So we were hardwired to have a mechanism for healing in our own hands. And somewhere along the human development journey, that just kind of got set aside and nobody paid attention. And you know, luckily these two, two docs back in New York were like, uh, <laughs> touch is really important. Let's start really figuring out how do you bring that proactively into psychotherapy. And it's, mm -hmm. it's I was just going to say the hand, um, I think I've read many, many years ago, I think I've read somewhere that holding a patient's hand while they're going through an MRI, like, or even, uh, or, or just any medical procedure is so, so helpful. So it was, um, you know, recommended to have, if you can, depending on the procedure, to have someone there to hold your hand or to just kind of, you know, um, to just be there you know but touching is so powerful right that touching and i think i read also um for the the folks that are that are alone like you know those that are dying in the hospital that are alone even though they may they're not conscious or aware i i've read some uh, and i don't know the exact terminology but the, if then the practitioner the, the doctor the nurse if they hold their hands there seems there's a, a change uh in that it's it sounds yeah. like they their body responds to it. not their brain, of course, but there's a response that they measured. Yeah. And I thought that was so fascinating. So when I heard about havening, I it made so much sense to me because yeah. of, of that yeah. that you know article that I read. Yeah, but well, it's it, it's built into us. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, thank, thank you so much for this. It was such an, uh, you, you were so generous with the information yeah. that you shared. Thank you so much for taking the time to to share with, with me and with our listeners. And for those folks that would lo love to get to know you more, get to know more about the work that you do, uh, you know, how can they find you? So um, if there's practitioners out there who are listening, we, we do have an upcoming one-day workshop on havening. So it's a great kind of taster. Um, that we're doing with PESI and um, so PESI.com is where you would find that. Just plug in the, my name or Havening, Dr. Kate Schroeder or Havening, and um, you can get it on demand. And it's a great way to get familiar with some of the beginning stages of trauma processing in the clinical space and to get a feel for if you want to do the deeper work in the official certification training. Uh, for everybody, uh, clinicians included, 
Uh, we do have a YouTube channel. We put out two videos every week. One's a Wednesday is a psychoeducational video followed by a guided therapeutic practice that almost always includes havening. Um, and that links up with the psychoeducational video to deepen whatever was learned in that video. And then we also do have our TikTok channel, which is Truitt at TikTok. And that's just an opportunity for people to ask questions and get video replies, and it's just a lot of fun. So those would be the primary two ways. And we have the usual Instagram and Facebook stuff and blog, monthly blogs. And so, yeah, we got the book coming out um, in a couple months. And then the, the follow-up, the, uh, the autobiography will be out at the, towards the end of the year. Looking forward to... Yeah, yeah. What website's drtruitt.com. I always forget to say that. And yeah. we do monthly blogs on the website. So if you join the newsletter, you'll kind of get all of this in our, in our uh, we do a newsletter once a month. We don't spam, but once a month you get. All, all. I'll include it in the show notes. I'll include your oh, website right. in the, in the yeah, social media you. channels. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Rosa. And I would love to have you back and have this conversation in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a joy spending time with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you found it healing and nourishing to your mind and soul. If there's a friend that you think would benefit from listening to this information, please share it. Share about our podcast. If you feel called to, please leave us a review as this really, really helps boost our presence here in Apple Podcasts and it makes it easier for others to find us to stay up to date on new episode releases and special events and projects that I'm working on. You can follow us on Instagram at Inner Healing Paths Podcast, and you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to my website, which is rosachettilcsw.com. And I will include this information and links in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again next time.